Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle. On this episode, we continue the six-part series on what is personal financial planning. You'll also learn a little bit about what the different roles are when it comes to both personal financial planning versus more on the business finances. But we're going to dive into, on this episode, analyzing your current situation, how to build a personal balance sheet and net worth statement, why we need a tax return to look at your income sources, and how to build a budget that incorporates your emergency fund. Hope you find this valuable and have a great day and enjoy the show. Welcome to Building Your Wealth Muscle, a podcast about building and protecting wealth for online health and fitness coaches. Each episode, we're gonna break down different topics in the areas of business, finance, and tax, and how they pertain to your coaching business. Disclaimer. The topics covered in this podcast are for educational purposes only. This is not advice for your specific situation. Please consult a qualified financial or tax professional before making changes to your financial or tax situation. Now, here's your host, certified financial planner, Pat Darby. What's up, guys? And welcome back to Building Your Wealth Muscle. This is episode 35, and we're continuing our deep dive into what is financial planning? This is a six-part series, so if you missed the first two, we'll kind of give you a quick recap, and I encourage you to go back and, and listen to the whole thing, but or from the beginning, I should say. But the first part is just what is financial planning for fitness professionals, uh, fitness business owners, and then the, the five steps. So just a recap of these five steps. The first one, is goal setting, understanding where you're looking to actually go. Like same in fitness, it's hard to start the fitness journey if you don't know if you're primarily focusing on losing body fat versus building muscle. Everyone's gonna have a different goal. And it's our job as professionals to help our clients identify those goals and also the bigger purpose behind those goals. The second step, which we're gonna dive into today, is analyzing your current situation. So I'll dive into what that means. Obviously, this, we're going to go in depth on that today. But just like with, with you and your fitness clients, understanding exactly where they are, their measurements, their food intake, it's a deep dive into exactly what you're doing. It's a no judgment zone. You know, you just, you just need to know because obviously without a benchmark and without measuring everything, how do you, how do you gauge improvement? So that's as much for you and the client. Same thing with us in, in, when it comes to money and finance, we're going to measure everything. The third part of the process is risk planning. You know, once we identify where we're trying to go and seeing where we are, we start building that bridge um, to get there. And so we need to, before we start to get people excited, at least in my, the way I approach it, I want to put the risk category first because that's the part that no one likes. Everyone gets excited for the sizzle, like, hey, like, let's build assets, let's invest in things. But we have to try to identify as many of the things that could derail us as possible, uh, plan around those. Or, you know, again, we can't take risk out of your life, but we could try to minimize where we can. So that's the third part. The fourth part is the sexy sizzle part, allocating the money, buying assets. And then the fifth part of the financial planning process is optimizing. Because again, like uh, I talk about on my social media, and I think you guys understand this pretty well because of the way you guys operate in fitness, it's a process. You know, things are going to happen again with the risk analysis. 
life's going to throw things at your financial plan. It's not a static plan. Things are going to change. Your income's going to drop and your income's going to increase, health things, whatever it is. So the plan will always need to be tweaked. One of the analogies I've used in the past, I think I use a few different ones, but essentially be like flying from LA to Miami. If you're not making course corrections along the way, you're likely not going to get there. So those are the five. And again, I recommend you go back to episode 33, which is the beginning and we go through all of it and then obviously listen all the way through. So today is about the second part of the, the process, analyzing your current situation. So what does that mean? Again, I kind of briefly talked about that a couple of minutes ago, but here's a, a deeper dive of what you're actually looking to. Again, if you're working with a financial professional, one of the things to keep in mind, and I'll break this down throughout this, this podcast, is that depending on who you're working with, this level of analysis is going to be different. And here's what I mean. If you hire like a CFO and all they're doing is working inside your business, the deep dive into your current financial situation is going to solely focus on what's happening in the business. What's happening in your personal life would be outside of their realm of oversight, for lack of a better example. I was going to say expertise, but that's not that's not fair because it's it's likely that could be their expertise, but that's not what their role is for you. That same thing might be the case if you have an accountant that really looks in on your business or even bookkeepers. You know, they're looking at the business current situation. They may not be looking at your personal financial situation and vice versa. You could hire someone from some of the, the major banks, major wirehouses, as they call themselves. And a lot of times they're just going to look at your personal finances. And so, again, that's not good or bad. You just have to understand who you're hiring and to do what so that you as the, the customer or the client can be in the best position to understand the advice. Like it would be similar in your world where if you hire someone just to help you with your exercise, you know, like that's fine, but you have to understand that they they're in that scenario, they're not helping you with your nutrition. So again, there's nothing wrong with that. If there's somebody out there and maybe you're listening, this is you, like you, your expertise is the nutrition side, but not the, in the gym side and vice versa. So just understand when you're hiring somebody, how it works and how you may not be getting holistic advice from them, which may or may not be fine because that could be what you hired them to do is just the business or the personal. Um, so I'm going to do my best to touch on both because as a shameless plug, my company oversees both. And I've explained in other episodes, but if this is your first time listening, the reason I am so emphatic and passionate about looking at both is because when I ran my biz first business right after college, this was pre-finance and tax. So I didn't know what I was doing with this stuff. So I didn't know the questions to ask. My financial advisor at the time was pushing a lot of my money into retirement accounts and insurance policies. And for someone in their early 20s, trying to start a business that was sucking up a lot of my cash flow that was not the best use of my funds. Now, he wasn't giving me bad advice per se. Well, the insurance policies are bullshit, but the retirement planning stuff was fine, except that wasn't what I needed at the time. So I don't want to derail on that, but 
Um, I've talked about that in prior episodes, why I think it's important to have someone overseeing both because you're going to have a question that comes up in your personal life that really needs to be the lever, I should, I, for lack of better, the lever needs to be pulled in the business and vice versa. You might have a business question, but that lever is really pulled on the personal finance side. And so you need to be able to have someone who can look at both objectively because you, in this world, depending on who you ask, you know, the, the finance industry, they're obsessed with keeping the money they have under management because that's how they get paid. So if you go to your investment advisor and say, oh, I found this phenomenal, the next door neighbor's property, they passed away, they just want to sell it, I can get it for, you know, a discount. That advice may not be good news to your financial person who doesn't want to see you take 200 grand out of your portfolio for the down payment. So that's a little bit of a side note, Ed, but in all of these episodes, I do want to educate you how Wall Street works so that, again, I charge assets under management also and consulting fees because you can't eliminate the conflicts of interest. But the way a lot of people are doing it these days is they're getting compensated for the advice they give you. So that way they don't care per se where you where you pull your money from. Let's build assets. But I don't want to distract us from the actual topic today, which again, now we are analyzing your current situation. Uh, side note, I forgot to put creamer in my coffee before I started and I don't know how to hit the pause button. So we'll just continue. So the first part is really looking at what you own or what you owe. You know, right now we're building your net worth statement. I don't know if that buzzword resonates with people, but you're building a balance sheet. Those two are basically synonymous because we're adding up all the assets in your life and all the liabilities like assets or like stocks you own, the business, your fitness business has a value, whether or not you've ever had a formal or informal one done, your business has a value to it. So that would be an asset. Again, there might be some debt in your business, maybe credit cards, line of credit, maybe. So obviously that would be part of the balance sheet as well. Other things you might own, you might own real estate. Vehicles aren't really necessarily, and they're depreciating, but you know, they have a value. But you would add all of that in. Like, what do you own? And then what do you owe? So, and this is where... I can't emphasize enough that it, if you're going down this road, especially with, with not yourself, like you're having this conversation, you really need to, for lack of a better term, you really need to get financially naked with your financial person because it doesn't do you any good to not tell them things that you might feel embarrassed about. Like I've made a lot of stupid mis mistakes in my own finances, you know, like all sorts of things like pulling money out of retirement accounts, not really knowing the implications of those before I entered finance, like trying to understand these things. So like I've made a ton of mistakes. I mean, it sucks, but that's also one of the things that I enjoy helping people not repeat my mistakes, but it really helps you to be completely transparent with the person because they're trying to help you and it, you are handicapping them by like, or by say you're, you're tying one hand behind their back if you don't give them the full picture. So you want to see all that you want to give them all the assets. And especially when it comes to debt, you want to be totally transparent because there's strategies that they're going to have for you. There's going to be things that they're going to, to want to recommend to you that could help you significantly. And this is another challenge that I think people should be aware of. And I think I forget if I talked about on a prior episode, but the, there's another misconception in finance that you need to be a millionaire to hire a financial professional. And that's crazy because like, you know, that's like the stigma, 
that would literally be like someone saying, I can't hire you until I get a six pack. Then I can hire you to teach me fitness. That would be like, that's ludicrous to people. But in finance, that's like what was taught to us because all the big firms, I mean, they specifically say it, get a half a million dollars and then come talk to us, you know, or a million dollars, whatever, whatever their minimum is. So they've trained you to be like, go away until you've got money versus if you, if more people had the, the training and the education, the same thing with, with what you guys are doing, more people would be in better shape if they just hired somebody who could explain to them, you know, calories in, calories out, do this, don't do that. You know, it's the little things that really add up to the major results. So I can't emphasize that enough. You, if you're working with somebody and well, one, if they're judging you, then get rid of them and get someone new. But more importantly, like you need to be completely honest with them because especially on the debt side, there's strategies that we have for you. So it doesn't do anybody any favors for you to withhold that information because you're embarrassed. Again, like I can't speak to all financial advisors, but I made a ton of mistakes. So I, I have no problem hearing other people's financial mistakes because again, they're going to learn from a lot of the ones I've already made. So, so that's, that's the, the main component. We want to know what you own, the assets, where they're located, what are they valued at? Do you have cash reserves, like different bank accounts? We want to know it all because we need to build a picture of where the money sits, how it flows, uh, the debts that are out there, the credit cards that you're using. And then again, like I dive into where the things are owned in terms of like, is it personally? Is it by the business? That's especially important when it comes to debt that you have because the tax implications of where the debt is held, completely different. You know, credit card debt in the business versus credit card personal debt totally different set of risk reward measures in there. And that's because the interest is punitive in the personal side, because there's nothing to do with like credit card debt on the personal side in the business, you know, it might be serving, even though it's no fun to pay interest, at least you're getting a tax deduction for it. So now we dive into, after we know like exactly what we built the balance sheet, the net worth statement, and obviously your business is in there, at least it should. Like, again, I, this is where you come into like, if you're working with someone on the personal side, they probably aren't doing a lot with your business. And again, you can maybe like that or not like that. It's totally up to you. But I, I include my clients' businesses in the, in this analysis. Again, we're not doing formal business evaluations, but we're doing something informal. So we have a placeholder. You have an idea that as things grow in your life, your business should become one of your biggest assets. And as entrepreneurs, we're not going to dive into this here. That becomes a blessing and a curse that your biggest asset will likely become your business. And again, that can be a blessing and a curse because passing that on to people or selling it isn't the easiest thing in the world for us small business owners. I mean, it's not even easy for big businesses, but for small businesses, it's it's even harder. So now we know we have the balance sheet, we have the net worth statement, whatever whatever term resonates best with you. Now we're moving on to the income sources. We want to know, again, obviously we want to know what income is flowing out of the business, but also where else is it flowing from? Do you have investments? Do you have... Uh, real estate properties that are cash flowing, whatever it is, we want to know. And now this is the part where again, at the big firms, I can almost guarantee they're not going to do this for you because a lot of them are not allowed to give tax advice. This is where we, I'll say require. Yeah. We require people to give a tax return to us. And that that's for two reasons. One, like I said before, we want to see everything. And, you know, like doctors, when I was joking around, like we want to get financially naked. We want to see everything that's going on in your financial life. 
And so the tax return is going to tell us more information than one. You may not have thought it was important. So, but we can see on the tax return and from our lens, it could be very important. Two might be something you forgot or three, maybe it's something you didn't want us to know. And four is like number one, but basically like the mistakes that I was making in my, when I launched right out of college, my business, again, I didn't know what questions to ask. So us having the tax return, you know, it'd be like having like an MRI on it and you're seeing things that they might not be aware of or think it's even relevant, but it could be incredibly crucial. So for us, the tax return is critical because not only are we worried about there's things that you didn't tell us by accident or on purpose, but more importantly, all these income sources that we're trying to gather from you, it's really important to know the details of those income sources. You know, like where are they coming from? How are they being taxed? Like how much are you keeping of that money? That's all really critical to where we're going because everything we do in, at least with my firm and the way you should want it is tax efficiency. And the reason for that is, and think how to best phrase this. The reason tax efficiency work is very important is because when it comes to tax planning, this isn't a podcast about tax planning, but as a side note on it, you're not trying, if, if you do tax planning properly, you're not trying to lower your tax bill every single year. Some You're trying to lower your tax bill over your lifetime. So if you pay a little extra to put an investment or a business into a tax efficient vehicle, that's going to save you over the long haul. But again, like seeing where all these assets are is very important to the whole process. It's, it's just like real estate, location, location, location. So that was the, basically a third part of this section is we want to know where all of the income streams are so we can ask all the right questions. And again, we're going to pull a lot of that off of your tax return as well. Let's see. And then, from there, okay, so now we have, just as a brief recap, we have all the assets, all the debts, and all the income streams. However that p- plays out for you, again, we want to lump the business income together because that's going to be its own strategy to improve profitability. But now we know what's what's flowing to you as the individual. Again, so there's, a lot of this is personal finance because there's a whole lot that we do on the CFO side for clients when we're dealing with the business. But I want to walk you through what to expect from a financial plan on the personal side. So after we know where the income is, now we need to know where the money goes, all the expenses in your life. And again, now this is including your business. So we want to know both business and personal expenses. So this factors in because once we, let's call them budget, even though no one likes the word budget, it's called a spending plan, whatever you're comfortable with. Now we want to look at where all the money is going. And you want to really break those down, at least in my opinion, into a few different categories. So let's take the business, the, I'm sorry, the personal side first. You have your monthly expenses and you also have your annual expenses. So I like those two broken down separately for two reasons. One, I find it to be much easier for everybody um, to have level cash flow. To have a ballpark on like how much I'm spending. Let's just use a round number. Like you're spending $10,000 each month on like the quote unquote normal things. So it's much easier to build a budget to say, okay, around $10,000 is what I need for my mortgage, my vehicle, cell phones. Again, 
a lot of it will be in your business, but let's keep the hypothetical. Maybe it's your, your significant other's car or whomever. So your personal vehicle, all the personal expenses, again, that's going to be your groceries. You know, uh, you should budget for things that are fun in your life. But so let's say it's all adds up to $10,000 on the personal side. We need to know that number because one, obviously it factors in when we start building assets, like how much is going to be left over from the profit of the business and the other income sources that we can redeploy it to build your net worth and build wealth. But also the next phase, when we're talking about risk planning, the amount of money you're spending needs to be accounted for, for the, uh, emergency fund. So using that example of saying like there's the $10,000 per month, but you also want to average what your annual spending is on random things like holidays, gifts, things like that. Because like Christmas, for example, can really throw people's budgets off because let's again, use that same number, 10,000, 10,000, 10,000. Then you get to December and just for argument's sake to keep the math simple, let's say you spend 20,000 on all your gifts for friends, family, colleagues, whatever it is, that would really throw people off if they're so used to having their monthly budget come in around 10 grand. So you want to also account for things throughout the year for how much you're spending on an annual basis. So whether you put that somewhere separate, totally up to you. I mean, that might to some people sound like you're adding complexity to a budget, but in my opinion, over time, that actually smooths out the budget because when a big thing comes, like whether it's your property taxes, your your gifts and holidays, travel, like if you want to budget for travel, it's not coming out of your monthly bucket, basically. You're planning ahead for it, keeping your cash cash flows smooth. And as business owners, we have good months and we're like, we're always asking ourselves, like, where do I what do I do with this? That would be a, a great place to think to put it. Is like, okay, well, I had a really good month. So I have an extra like $5,000 that I, I don't know what to allocate that to. But you could say, oh, well, I know on an annualized basis, I spend another 10 grand in Christmas gifts. So you could put it there. So again, that, that's sort of moving ahead to the fourth step. But I'm giving you an idea of what you need to think about when you're building your budget. Because you do want it, for the most part, you do want your budget to be smooth. Um, that's why for most of your listening to this, you probably have programs where you're charging people maybe monthly. So you're not hitting them with these like more because more people probably like it to paying a thousand a month than three thousand. So or thirty five hundred, however you however you price it. That's the reason why uh, that I think it's helpful from a financial planning perspective. And again, when we dive into the risk factors, it's like, okay, what happens if you couldn't work? and income dries up. How much do you need to survive for, let's just call it six months? When you're building that budget, you need to have a little more granularity into that $10,000. And here's what I mean. Like if you say on a normal day, on an earth, on a normal month, in a normal year, I spend $10,000 a month. Cool. Got it. So does that mean your emergency fund needs to be $60,000? It could be. But in this as I'm recording this, this is the, the end of May, 2020, or sorry, 2022. And we are at some of the highest inflation rates that most of us have ever seen in our entire life. And so the idea of having a cash reserve more than you need is not very appealing because you know you're getting crushed by inflation right now. 
So here's where I'm going with that. Let's say in that example, you're spending $10,000 a month. Does your emergency fund need to be $10,000 a month? Most likely, or I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, $10,000 a month for those six months, so that's 60,000. Most likely that answer is no. And here's why, because inside of that emergency fund is, or sorry, inside of that $10,000 of monthly spending includes things that like your, maybe your weekend getaways, dinner, bars, restaurant, entertainment, all of those things. Like even like if you are uh, a young parent, maybe it's daycare, things like that. But if something happened to your business, like we go into another like downturn or the government gives us some bullshit shutdown again, again, that won't impact you per se because you're online, but who knows? My point is those things, like those luxury expenses, you can control it. You'd be like, okay, well, things aren't good financially for me right now. So I was spending $2,000 a month for just me and my spouse and me and my kids like doing fun things that could easily be pulled back. Same thing, like maybe daycare, maybe you're spending $1,500 a month on daycare. If you're home because you can't go to work or whatever the case may be, your kids don't necessarily need to be in daycare. They can stay home with you and you can cut that cost. So you want to put some granularity to what that 10,000 is going to on a normal basis. You don't have to stress about it. Again, you can say, all right, I I spend 10,000 a month. So from a high level budgeting, you're like, cool. As long as every month I make sure I pay myself that 10,000, I'm good. But as soon as you worry that you're hitting the financial recession alarm, which might be going off for a lot of people as I'm recording this, you can immediately look and be like, oh, okay. You know, but my $50,000 is really going to get me through because again, let's just hypothetically say like almost $2,000 a month is, is really discretionary spending that you don't need if you need to start pinching pennies, but you do need to make sure in that emergency fund, it's the things that you can't stop just because maybe you're, you're sick or injured and you can't work or the economy comes to a crash. So clients are falling off. You need to know what are those expenses that don't go away, like the mortgages, the car payments, utility bills, the taxes on your property. Like those bills don't go away just because we're in a downturn. So you want to account for that. So that's basically the first part of of the analyzing the current situation. So the next phase, as I mentioned, we move on to like risk planning because after we know everything. That is like, again, like now we know all your income, all your expenses, everything that you own, every dollar that you owe, we're going to start building strategies to get you where you need to go. Again, if there's debt, we're going to start building strategies to eliminate the debt. You know, if, if we need to be building assets, we're going to be building assets or investing in buying assets, things like that. But the next phase is as we're building this bridge to your desired goal, the next phase is taking a deep dive into all the things that are going to derail us and knock us off track. And basically all the things that we pray never happen to us, we need to try to do our best to account for it. And no, as a preview to next week, no, the answer to everything is not insurance. So as, as I try to give as many tips as I can on the predatory world of Wall Street and insurance, be well aware that the answer to all these questions the solution to all these questions is not buying insurance policy, but we'll dive into that more next week. As always, guys, I hope you find this helpful. If you do, 
please share with someone because I do feel like financial literacy is becoming harder and harder to get a hold of, especially in this time where it feels like the government would much rather all of us be less successful and more reliant on them. I can't take credit for this. I'm a big fan of Andy Vercella. Like being financially independent is is a really valuable tool to to not be impacted by whatever they're going to throw at us now. So hope this is helpful. And as always, DM me if you have any questions. If you're considering financial planning, if this is something that you need help with, but you worry that you can't commit to a full like you need to get started in your business, getting things organized. Uh, we have a couple of programs that that are really on the starter level, and that that one is our Beast Mode Money Boot Camp. It's not a group program, even though I named it Boot Camp, which maybe wasn't the best marketing name, but it's one on one attention, and we're going to do everything to build your business finances properly, getting your bank account set up, getting your QuickBooks set up getting you on payroll with Gusto if that's what you need, if you're at that level of income already. We'll run through everything. We'll start building the tax strategies for you that you can keep implementing on your own, but getting you the foundation so you can start tracking and documenting what you need to to survive an audit. If you uh, ever do happen to have one, you have all the record keeping and documentation. We're going to teach you all that. And again, there's no commitment. It's just a startup program. So if that's of interest to you, please let us know. And as always, please share this if you found value. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us this week on Building Your Wealth Muscle. Make sure you visit our website, darbyba.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us as well. For more information on the topics covered, you can follow Pat on Instagram, at Pat Darby Biz. The download from this episode is available in the show notes. And if you want help building your wealth specifically, Pat Darby is currently taking private clients. The link to book a call is also in the show notes. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.